Welcome to the Shock Your Potential podcast with your host, Michael Sherlock. We all have potential, but sometimes we need inspiration to get us to our peak performance. Whether you are starting out in your career, ready to move up the corporate ladder, or taking the leap into entrepreneurship, Michael's guests provide powerful tools and resources to shock your potential. Shock Your Potential is a global professional development training company committed to your unique journey. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com and download our free Shock Your Potential app today. Listen in to today's expert. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Shock Your Potential. I, of course, am Michael Sherlock, your host of this podcast. And as you know, all month long, we are talking about something that is near and dear to my heart, and that is about leading with love. So my guests have been just blowing me away with, with all of their stories, all of their tidbits of, of great lessons for us to learn. And my guest today has someone some uh, lessons already, some stories to tell us I know that are going to make a great difference in all of our minds. So for 25 years, Dan Eds has been practicing man, been a practicing management consultant. And he's worked primarily with state and local governments. So you know that's got to be a challenge. Healthcare, okay, there's another challenge. K through 12 education, higher education, and nonprofits, which means he's seen it all, done it all. He's also the author of two books. First one's called Transformation Management, and his most recent is called Leveraging the Genetics of Leadership, Cracking the Code of Sustainable Team Performance, which I know I will have lots to ask him about. Now, his latest book is about how elite organizations approach the practice of leadership. And remember, we've talked about this many times. It is a practice, just like meditation. But their results are that they end up being organizations that are driving unparalleled customer value, daily innovation, and unmatched levels of employee engagement, which means we know people want to stay there. There's something going right when they don't want to leave. So first of all, Dan, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you for this opportunity. It's a delight to be with you. And as we uh, haven't shared with uh, the listeners yet, we had a little time to chat before we started taping and you are in the lovely but sometimes rainy area of the greater <laughs> Seattle uh, uh, market in Washington State, a place I'm very, very familiar with and yes. I talk about often. But right. Dan, I just had some highlights from your bio. Tell us uh, in your own words a little bit more about you, your business, and how you help people to shock their potential. Well, as you mentioned, I've been doing management consulting for 25-ish years, and um, and and you know most of my work is is in the public sector, healthcare, um, education, and uh, what really got me going on this, uh, really on this latest book, was so many times um, I would go into an organization, and they'd say, "Can you fix this team, this work unit, this group?" They're discouraged, they're out of money, they're spending too much money, um, they need some process improvement, whatever. And I'm, mm -hmm. I'm a bit of a generalist, so I can fix just about anything. And um, so many times at the end of the engagement, someone would come up to me, almost universally, something like this would happen. Someone would walk up to me and kind of quietly say, you know, I didn't have a whole lot of hope that this was going to make any difference. Mm. Oh yeah. I actually have some hope now. Oh. Um, and you know, I got, I had enough of those things happen to me, conversations and one 
actually was um, uh, somewhat humorous, somewhat sad and shocking at the same time. I had done a four day lean engagement for a very large state agency. It was a division within a state agency. And I was, you know, please help fix this, this team, this group. <laughs> and um, so at the end of four days, we had two gorgeous value stream maps on the wall. We had identified um, three or four really strategic uh, improvement initiatives. Um, we had identified the fact that every invoice that they paid had to pass through the financial manager's desk upwards of seven times oh, before geez. it was ever processed. And they were a funding agency, so they processed a lot of invoices. Wow. Um, and at the end of that four days, one of their uh, more senior leaders, and there was 18 people in, in this team for this engagement, so they represented 55 or 60 employees, I guess. Um, one of their senior leaders walked up to the manager. The manager was kind of a short guy. This leader was probably 6'3", six, 6'4", six, grabbed him by the lapels of a sport coat, almost picked him up off of his feet, physically shook him and his head's wow. bobbing back and forth. And, and he said, if you don't do something with this, don't ever, ever, ever ask me to help you with something like this ever again. Wow. Yeah. And I'm standing like five feet and back from him. And I'm thinking, this is really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's one way to put it. Yeah. Wow. Um, and, and there's people listening right now think, thinking, I thought I had a bad boss. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, uh, the, the unfortunate part is that um, at a courtesy, we took what we had done and we made a presentation to the executive leadership of the department, strictly out of courtesy. Uh, nothing that we had designed was going to require approval from the governor uh, and a, a special uh, allocation of money. It was all stuff that the staff of this group can handle by themselves. Mm -hmm. So we go to the executive uh, committee, executive staff uh, uh, leadership meeting. We make a presentation there. This is great. This is super. The governor who had just been uh, elected, had voted, had, had actually run a campaign on a more efficient government, had even told publicly, we're going to do lean. Mm -hmm. And so the executives of the department, it was a department of motor vehicles, so it's a big department. They were wow. thrilled because now they can go to the governor and say, we're doing lean. Right. At the very end of the conversation, they said, oh, by the way, could you just keep this other person who's not here today just keep them abreast of what you're doing. Oh boy. <laughs> and you could just watch the, the energy just deflate out of these people because now they had just set up a whole dynamic of mm -hmm. leadership and authority and all this stuff. And they were now no longer in control of their own destiny, if you will. Yeah. And that's when I, I said, you know, there's something else going on here. Um, the, the executives weren't, weren't bad people. They were by any measure well-qualified to do their job. But I realized that they were working in a system that rewarded them for their proximity to the governor ah. and not a reward system that said, we want to support staff because they have the good ideas to improve how to create more value. And so that got me on this journey of looking at how high impact organizations approach the practice of leadership. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And one of the big ahas, and with this, I'll be quiet, and you can ask me another question. <laughs> <laughs> one of the big ahas is that high-impact organizations put a great deal of value on value. Mm-hmm. They see people, money, and knowledge, the, 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 the three primary resources that every, every organization has at their disposal. They see people, money, and knowledge as a resource or resources that can be developed for ever greater value. Mm-hmm. Average organizations see those as assets that need to be managed and controlled. Oh, I'm taking notes. This <laughs> 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 is assets, right. And so then assets are just spent. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. They're transactional. Wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. I mean, I'm just, I, it just makes me sad, you know, this scenario. And yet I've seen it a thousand times yep. too. Yep. Um, you know, I, I've worked with so many businesses myself that, you know, I once upon a time before this business and before I had walked back into corporate America for mm-hmm. uh, several years, I owned a, a consulting company and I worked with medical practices mm-hmm. and I made them more profitable. Mm-hmm. So I taught them mm-hmm. how to, um, take their profit centers and really create systems for them. Mm -hmm. But it was same thing. There were many times I'd walk in and you could see people were scared of me, but hopeful, you know, or wanted to have hope, but there was, you know, their hope had been dashed so many times. And, uh, and you just see it. It makes you want to wrap your arms around them and say, come on, we can do this. You know, I know you've been kicked a few times, but I'm not going to kick you. Yeah. But that, that sense of, being able to have somebody say, oh my gosh, I didn't want to believe it was possible, but now I have a sense of hope. Right. right. Um, and then as you saw what you saw and you mm-hmm. realize the reality of what mm-hmm. you know, you're getting into, being mm-hmm. able to help develop that mm-hmm. Is, mm-hmm. is a gift. It's phenomenal. It's like the best thing in the world. Yeah. And I, I love how you look at that too. I, and I'm, I know you saw that from all the different um, people you've worked with and all the different people that you've interviewed, but that real sense of placing a value on value mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and having it be critical to, to make it more, make it sustainable, yep. exactly. you know, have it be healthy, something that continues right. to grow and thrive. Right. That, right. I've never really thought about it that way, but that's a really great way to look at, at who is, who's responsible for the success of your business in the yep. first place. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, one of the, uh, one of the big ahas um, in the research that I, that I did, and I, and I looked at um, several, organ- actually probably five different organizations in healthcare, um, manufacturing, education, um, U.S. military, obviously, um, and I had interviews with um, people in the NFL Super Bowl championship team and some really amazing, amazing people. And one of the things that was universal to the organizations that I ended up looking at, who are all by any measure uh, exemplary, um, fabulous organizations, every one of them focused when they looked at their people, um, they looked at their people as a as this resource that if they can develop that resource, and it wasn't just the professional piece, it included the personal piece as well. 
-hmm. If they could develop that resource, both personal and professional, they ended up not only with a better employee, they ended up with a better human being. Mm. And that additional value, where did it go? Mm. It get, oh. got transferred to their customers. And uh, guess oh, yes. what? It came, it went to their customers free of charge. That is, that is a great way to look at that because also then you are, yes, you're definitely treating your customers better. Mm -hmm. You're more likely to be invested in a successful outcome with a customer. Yes, yes. Um, you're more likely to want to find solutions rather than it's not my problem. Right, right. Uh, and then ultimately you have less turnover of good yes. employees because yes. they want to continue a place that's positive. Yep. Right. Well, and they want to continue working with a place where they feel valued, where yeah. their voice is heard, where they are respected, um, where they feel like they have a home, where mm -hmm. they feel like they have colleagues who, who uh, want their opinion. Um, I, I had, um, you know, the, the, your, your uh, theme of leading with love reminds me of uh, this elementary school principal that I interviewed. Um, and this by any measure, this this woman is, is a remarkable, remarkable leader. But even more, she actually does. In fact, when I sat down with her, I said, I want to talk to you about how you approach leadership. And she says, leadership? I don't know anything about leadership. <laughs> she went on, she went on to describe for me in exquisite detail the most eloquent system of leadership I found probably outside the United States Army. And that's not wow. to say she was acting like a general, it was quite the opposite. <laughs> but but um, when we were talking uh, about people and her approach to developing her people, um, at one point I, I stopped her and I said, so it sounds like you are, you put as much emphasis on developing the whole person of your staff um, as, as um, opposed to just developing prof the professional teaching skills. And she looked at me like I was from outer space. And she says, of course, why would I want half a teacher walking in my door? And I think, <laughs> I think that could be said for so true. a software engineer, for a lawyer, for a chief executive officer, for, uh, you know, for anybody walking in there. Why do we want, why do we want a half a person walking in the door when the best part of that person their basic human capacity for creativity, for problem solving, for innovation, walks in the door at no additional cost. <laughs> and, and, you know, when you think about it. That's yeah, so true. Yeah, and, and when, when you think about it, you know, if you want to talk, talk about, you know, shocking your potential, what um, one of the things that I found in these, these really high impact organizations they want to develop the full potential of their people, not just the technical piece. They want to develop the full potential and opportunity of their people. And when you see a working, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a piece of art and you see it working and it is, it's exquisite when you see people, you know, um, what, one of my, one of my case studies is a small manufacturing company and I, 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 I got to the tour about 20 minutes early. So it's in the morning, I'm sipping my, my morning latte in my car and I'm watching people walk in their door. And it was mm -hmm. really strange. Everybody was smiling. 
I mean, the first person I saw walk on and they were smiling, I'm like, okay, well, that's kind of nice. And they looked over and they saw me and they probably thought, okay, he's the guy that's coming in for the tour. But I watched, you know, a hundred people walk in the door and they're all smiling and laughing. And when you go through the tour, everybody is making eye contact. Everybody is smiling. Everybody greets you. And it's, it's like, I mean, you've walked into lots of organizations as have I, and most of the organizations I walk into, you know, heads are down. It's like, oh, hi, good morning. And, you know, it's not quite that, you know, jovial of a place. Absolutely. So what was what was the secret to it? Did you ever find out? So um, this uh, this was a manufacturing company um, and this little company, 200 people, um, they design and manufacture high end custom commercial furniture. And uh, no one's ever heard of them, but if I rattled off their customers, you would you would recognize every one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all national national companies, and um, they are so good at what they do that they actually have a waiting list of customers that, that want to work with them. Wow! Um, they have a ten point scale that they measure every customer against, and if the customer doesn't measure up, and it's things like pay their bills on time. With what's their values? Do our values mesh? Um, and if they're, if if they're, if the ten point scale doesn't doesn't measure up, as a customer, you get fired. Um, I love it. But, uh, but the thing that they've done uh, um, is they've designed a, a system of leadership based on the principles of servant leadership. Uh, in fact, when I when I first started um, interviewing the uh, the president, said I want to talk to you about your your approach to leadership. He said, Well, we do servant leadership. And after taking the tour, I thought, Yeah, that's exactly what I saw. <laughs> um, but then uh, then he starts talking about engagement, and uh, it was engagement to a very specific thing, which was to identify waste in the design and manufacturing processes and get rid of it. So everybody, all 200 members of their workforce are engaged to identify waste and get rid of it. And um, they even change the name. They drop the traditional names of, you know, production lead and, you know, production supervisor and all these kind of traditional names. Everybody's a mentor. So... Um, in my tour, oh, I was wow. I was I was listening to a woman uh, explain. She hadn't been with the company very long, and she was cutting out. She was operating a big cutting machine that would cut um, big pieces of foam core material for parts in furniture. And um, she recognized that uh, if she had this the, the the big piece of foam core material in a slightly different configuration, she can get five parts where she had been getting four parts. And that's a big, mm-hmm. that's a big jump in productivity. So yeah. she, she's explaining this and she says, I went to my mentor to see what to do about this observation. And my mentor coached me through this process. And then we were able to change. And my mentor then, um, you know, helped me through this waste identification process and redesign of the raw materials. And, you know, I'm like, 
mentor? Who who are you talking about? But yeah. there was there was this uh, kind of a short little lady standing right next to her, and finally I asked I asked the obvious question, which is, is that lady your supervisor? <laughs> <laughs> and again, you know, she looks at me like uh, dummy. Um, I guess she says, I guess so, but we just call them super or excuse me, we just call Mentor. them mentors. Yeah. Wow. And so they've changed the whole dynamic of leadership um, really on its head. So a leader by design, by training, by system, by culture, a leader is the servant to the frontline worker in the battle to identify waste and get rid of it. Wow. And so everybody has a voice. And uh, 200 people, um, 200 employees, and not all participate in this way, but 200 employees identify 1,000 to 1,250 what they call Kaizans or process improvement opportunities. Mm -hmm. 1,000 to 1,250 each year, and each one saves the company about $1,000. Wow. Talk about having everybody focused on on the same thing for efficiency. Yes, yes. And so you think of, so that actually works out to somewhere around four or 5% of gross sales Mm -hmm. are being pulled out of their cost structure every year. Wow. Which means they have enormous pricing flexibility. If they want to, you know, raise their prices for a year, that's free money that can go to the corporate bottom line, that can go to the um, go to the employees and better profit sharing, um, you know, better retirement, higher pay. They have enormous flexibility in what to do with with that money. Um, but it really all starts with some core values. We value mm-hmm. people. We see people not as an asset, but as a resource. Right. And they see money not as an asset, but a resource that they could get more and more value out of it every day. You and know, I, it's funny. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I interrupted. No, no well, uh, and, and the result of all that is innovation. They, they become yeah. a highly innovative company because it's the employees. They're innovating every day of the week. So it reminds me of two two stories. One that to me is is a great example of of this kind of format. Another one's a horrible example. And the first one, I think about it every single time I get on an airplane because mm-hmm. I'll never forget. I don't know why this stuck out in my head, but I remember listening to the news story about this. I don't even know when it was, but um, you know, Delta Airlines had an innovation, or maybe they still do, program at one point in time where if you found those things, you actually then earned a percentage of whatever you sold the com- uh, that you saved the company. the company. Right. Yeah. And so I remember when they were talking about the guy who said, instead of um, having planes back up from the jet bridges, mm-hmm. if we push them out with the little, you know, cars instead, it's going to yeah, save. Yeah. X amount of fuel per plane per day, whatever. And it was monumental. And I remember that just blew my mind because I'm like, wow, Mm -hmm. one thing that could save so much fuel and so much money and all that. So I think about it every time because I'm like, I hope that guy's on a beach somewhere (laughs) still counting his money. (laughs) Right. And I hope he's there for free on Delta because that would be good. 
Yeah. And that always impresses me. But the flip side was, I remember when McDonald's was doing something like this, because I'm pretty sure it was McDonald's that did this first. Hmm. And they were trying to evaluate ways to save money. And they did realize that people, their employees were putting too many napkins into mm -hmm. people's bags. Mm -hmm. So it was like, okay, one napkin per whatever. Well, then people just stopped putting any napkins in. Sure. You had to ask sure. for, I know it was McDonald's because you had yeah. to literally ask right. to get a napkin. Right. Right. And so it's like one extreme to the other. Because one, I mean, that that for me with Delta, and I'm a big Delta fan, um, yeah. I, you know, I've flown with them forever. But, sure. you know, they really believe in in um, reimbursing their employees, you know, giving mm -hmm. them a part yeah. of the profits, which is amazing. Right. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, at McDonald's, you can, you know, so one is great and it serves the company and it serves the right. customer and it serves right. opportunity. And the other yep. one totally failed. Right, right. <laughs> Well, and now you can't get a napkin. <laughs> yeah. Well, in 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 this manufacturing company, um, they actually will they re, anybody who does one of these kaizans is rewarded with uh, uh, personal leave time, and uh, they are so serious about their employees knowing how to do a kaizan is that they will reward them if their if their kaizan is for a company. Uh, project or even a home project. So I heard stories of people getting really? paid time off because they had done a Kaizen on their sailboat and had reorganized their sailboat. <laughs> um, uh, the guy that one of the guys that was leading the tour, he told me what I thought it was kind of a funny story. Um, and I, I don't know if this is sexist or gender or whatever, but um, He's a guy who's probably mid thirties, and um, he told me a story of uh, his very pregnant wife. Um, he uh, he thought he would do her a favor and reorganize her kitchen pantry, and um, so he. Oh, did that's a not a good idea. He did a kaizen on 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 his wife's kitchen pantry. <laughs> he got us he got us personal time off, <laughs> but his wife was. I was going to say. I was going to say, he probably was having to meet with divorce attorneys about that. <laughs> well, I guess no blood oh my goodness. built. Exactly. On that note, we'll take a really quick break here from our sponsor this month and we'll be right back. Are you tired of the time and expense of going to the salon for a mani-pedi? If so, Color Street is your answer. Base, color, and top coats are blended together in an incredible polished strip that you apply yourself. The result? A brilliant salon quality manicure in just minutes with no dry time, smudges, or streaks. These strips are 100% real nail polish, not stickers. They're flexible, can be gently stretched for a perfect fit, and last up to 10 days. I've been using them for months now and love the amazing selection of colors and styles, along with the ability to create my own unique manicure by mixing and matching. Shop today and support our sponsor, Betsy Roberts, by ordering at colorstreet.com backslash BH Roberts backslash party backslash 2095611. Again, that's colorstreet.com backslash BH Roberts backslash party backslash 2095611. Or simply click the link in our show notes. Okay. <laughs> and we are back on that note of the poor guy who probably deserved to be 
uh, not just have his time off, but to be put in the uh, put in time out for a while for reorganizing his wife's kitchen pantry. Maybe some marriage it. counseling. Dan, I think you've given great examples of a lot of. Yeah, no kidding. Yes, you better use that extra time for marriage counseling. I think you've given you know some really great stories so far about you know how people in business are really leading with love. You know, do you have any specific advice for my listeners and viewers on how to really see how you leading with love can be used and and seen as a competitive advantage? Uh, yeah, uh, there's several. So, um, first thing I would say is that an organization, and I, I would say this too, if it's an organization or an individual leader, I think you have to start out with what's the experience of the workforce? What's the experience of your team from your leadership? And, and I don't care if it's your personal mm -hmm. leadership or if it's your corporate leadership. You start out with what is the purpose or what is the outcome of your leadership and what's that experience like for your team? Um, uh, so give you one example. Um, uh, I, I had an interview one morning with a guy named General Barry McCaffrey. Uh, he's still an NBC news paid news correspondent. You see him on the news. Um, if you, he's a retired mm -hmm. four-star general. Uh, he holds three purple hearts. He's won multiple medals. I think he's won everything but the uh, Medal of Honor. Um, when he retired from the army, he went mm -hmm. on to serve in the Clinton administration as a, as a, as the nation's drug czar did that for five and a half years. And if you ask him yeah. today, he'll, he'll tell you the most important uh, work of his career was serving as the nation's drug czar. Um, during mm -hmm. the, uh, first Gulf Gulf war, he was the commander of the 24th infantry mechanized division. Um, which for us non-military types, that's a that's a division of 26,000 troops, uh, 45, 4,600 vehicles, uh, armored and, and non-armored vehicles, 100 airplanes, wow. and um, they did what's called the the left hook, which was instead of attacking the Iraqi army head on, they they in a very surprise move went left and did a big left hook. And within 48 hours, basically surrounded and destroyed the entire Iraqi army. It wasn't just his command, there was others as well. Um, and when I was talking to him about the army, the, the army's approach to leadership, he very emphatically said, we, we practice servant leadership. And the next breath, he's talking to me about love. Mm. And um, I actually didn't hear everything he said until I was reading the transcript of the conversation. And when I, when I read the transcript, you know, my eyes about fell out of my head and I couldn't believe what I was reading. So here is, by any definition, a certified war hero. Um, he, yeah. is, he's, he has served with incredible distinction. And he starts telling me about Norman Schwarzkopf, who... Um, was the supreme commander of all forces in that first Gulf War. Mm -hmm. and, Storm and uh, Norman. Storm and Norman, exactly. And uh, his description of Storm and Norman was he was um, a, a brilliant strategist. He had a genius level IQ. He was charismatic beyond belief. But if you were a direct report and he didn't think you were doing your job correctly, 
he was a raving asshole. Excuse the French. Oh, <laughs> um, he had a temper. The reason he had a temper was because in Vietnam, and both of these guys were were wounded in Vietnam. Uh, Schwarzkopf, I think, holds just just one Purple Heart. Um, they both learned you can't trust a general. So ah. Schwarzkopf made sure that his soldiers could trust generals. But um, so General um, McCaffrey tells me, he says, I was one of his divisional commanders, just one of many. He said, Schwarzkopf loved me. He said, it wasn't just a thing. He said, Schwarzkopf loved soldiers. And he said, and this is his exact words, he said, he actually loved me. And I'm thinking, this is the strangest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. You've got a certified war hero, um, has led men into combat, holds recipient of three Purple Hearts, and he's talking about being loved by his, his, his commanding officer, who also is a war hero, who, who, has, who served in Vietnam, who was wounded in Vietnam, has led men into combat. And um, what struck me is that, you know, now I think of love as this sort of squishy, feely, you know, warm, fuzzy kind of a thing. And it makes me nervous to talk about love in the mm -hmm. context of leadership and organizations and, and performance. It just, it just sort of makes me uncomfortable. But I think you are doing us all a great service by actually injecting the, the word of the love into the conversation of leadership. And uh, McCaffrey explained to me that it really starts with one of the core values of the United States Army, which is selfless service, which mm -hmm. they define as put the welfare of the nation, the army, and your subordinates above your own. Can you think of a better definition of love than that? Yeah, no kidding. That's really powerful. Absolutely. And, and so, and this is where I think you, we can take this concept of love and bring it down to, you know, the organizations that we're involved with, whether they be commercial, nonprofit, government, high tech, low tech, manufacturing, whatever. Um, I asked the general. I said, "Well, how does how does the army support?" Um, servant leadership and this idea of love and 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 um, being more concerned for your subordinates than your own. And he actually gave me three scenarios. I'll only give you one. Um, he said, well, <laughs> it's somewhat symbolic, but when a unit is leaving on a mission and people are boarding a helicopter, the highest ranking officer is the last one to get on that helicopter. And the highest ranking officer is also the first one to get off that helicopter. Symbolically, when they're getting on that helicopter, the highest ranking officer is in a place of protecting his or her troops. When they're getting mm -hmm. off that helicopter, they are putting themselves into harm's way first. Yeah. Now think about our standard commercial, public sector, whatever 
organizations. What would happen to the workforce, the experience of the workforce, if every leader understood how they were supposed to put, they were trained in specific ways to put the interest of, let's say the company, their customers, and their subordinates above their own. Oh, wow. That would change well, the world. It would cha- absolutely change the world. And, and work would not be a place of drudgery and boredom and, and fear. Work would be a place of joy and satisfaction and significance and value. Absolutely. That would be, that is, that should be the panacea that we're all striving for. That, Absolutely. That is a game changer. Yep. Uh, Dan, we could talk for hours on all this. My goodness. <laughs> and I know you have dozens of more good stories too. And I just am not going to ask you another one because I'll never stop talking to you. <laughs> I'm out of two. <laughs> Dan, I think you have so much to share. Um, and I know we'll have all your contact information on the show notes, but just in case somebody can't wait and they want to look you up, how's the what's the best way for them to find you right now? Um, two ways. One is my website. Uh, it's a personal website, danieleds.com. And um, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. And so you can look me up on LinkedIn and we could swap stories. Yes, absolutely. I was, I love it when I check out people's LinkedIn profile and I see yep. that they are always con, you know, talking and having input and right. engaging because that's the place to do it. Right. So before right. we go, my friend, do you have any last words of wisdom or pearls of advice for my listeners and viewers? Uh, pearls of pearls of wisdom or, or advice. You know, I, I, I think it would be, um, I think it would be something that General McCaffrey told me and, and, and kind of what I just said, you know, when we understand that people are really a resource that can be developed and we change our, our paradigm shift from people are an asset, I have to manage them mm-hmm. to people are a resource and I can develop that resource by injecting not only training, professional training, but I can make the help, I can help them, uh, they, we can help each other to be yeah. better human beings. Not only is the world a better place, but um, mission becomes uh, something really exciting and it's a source of joy and satisfaction. I mean, how many, I was talking to a guy the other day, how many veterans, Army, Air Force, Marine Corps, Navy, have you met when they have said, you know, I would not be the man or the woman that I am today if it hadn't been for the Army or the Marine Corps? And a big piece of that is because our military is as focused on developing better human beings as they are just Mm -hmm. just the professional bits. So that would be my my final thought, I guess, would be look at people as a resource. By sake of being a human being, they carry with them enormous potential and opportunity, creativity, innovation, intelligence. It comes with the yeah. body free of charge. Take advantage of it. <laughs> I love it, Dan. Thank you so much. I really have enjoyed our conversation and I am so glad we are connected. Oh, thank you, Michael. I I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Shock Your Potential podcast. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com, including details on Michael's two best-selling books. Tell me more 
how to ask the right questions and get the most out of your employees, and Sales Mixology, why the most potent sales and customer experiences follow a recipe for success. Make sure to check out our Shock Your Potential app, on-demand professional training resources to help you excel in your career. And as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and like us today.